You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com, brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, me? <laughs> well, I'd like to know if I was married to a horror piece of shit. <laughs> you could just look at her license. My. Special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use them, sir. <laughs> it's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. <laughs> We're here today with Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. Michael, what's going on? You know, we keep getting phone calls, and it's interesting because people try to handle a lot of stuff on their own, or they try to talk to the adjusters, or they wait, um, and they think maybe it'll cost them money if they talk to me. And, you know, we tell them it's free to talk to us. Um, I go through what their rights are, and you know we try to help them as best we can. We don't sign everyone up. Sometimes I just give them advice, and they go from there, and then call us back later. But the key is, is that they don't know all their rights, or they're not told all their rights by the adjuster. And that's one of the things we try to make sure that they get, you know, they get that understanding, uh, so they can help themselves and their families the best they can. And the number is is eight hundred seven seven zero seven zero zero eight. Or at the website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Brad, Sean, Bryant, Michael Bryant, thank you. Seeking justice for the injured. Brad, Sean, Bryant. Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you as always by Bradshaw and Bryant. Kicking off the show this week, we had Todd Glass in studio, talking about old school crooners, crooning, singing, comedy, all of it, next on the Best of... I don't think it's I don't think it's a crime knowing that the words that come out of your mouth are powerful. I watch uh, watch the old evening at the Improv. Well, we can talk about it if you want. Well, we're talking about it right now. Oh, we are. You got a little Frank Sinatra, or wait a minute, Dean Martin. Got a little Dean Martin playing in the background. My mother adored Dean Martin. You know what's funny about Dean Martin? I didn't learn about him till about almost what we were talking about. You know, learning about old music. Mm -hmm. I knew Dean Martin because of Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, but only till about five years ago we started playing a a YouTube roulette where you go around and you show people bands you like and you try to keep it. I try to keep it music videos and stuff or live performances. And I learned about Dean Martin. You know, I mean, learned, like, saw a concert of his when he was probably 65. And I'm like, oh, my God, he was so good. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, he was oh, smooth. Yeah. And he, in a way, are there, is there a group of people, it's a weird question, that go, Dean was the slickest one out of all of them. Because more probably. than Sinatra, even. Probably. He was comfortable with his masculinity. He was comfortable comfortable with his femininity, like what was gentle or soft. And mm-hmm. I watched him. I'm like, oh, I never knew this Dean Martin. You know, I just thought it was Dean Martin. Like he was like silly and he didn't, which he's both. It was really cool to see. Do you him. know the story of Dean Martin and JFK? No. Oh, God, it's a great story. So Frank Sinatra got out and, and stumped for, for John F. Kennedy like a, a madman. He did everything he could 
for John Kennedy to get him elected and all the rest of it. I mean, Sam Giancana mm-hmm. going that far, the whole deal. <clears throat> so JFK gets elected. Now, Dean Martin never liked JFK because he would see Frank acting really weird around. He said he, he kind of thought that, that, that Frank Sinatra would kind of kiss up to JFK, and it bothered him a lot that he would do that. So Dean Martin wasn't, a, wasn't doing that at all. So JFK gets elected, and Dean Martin gets contacted by the White House. They say, we would like to have you come and, and uh, do a concert and then stay for dinner with the president afterward. That would be wonderful. Uh, so what do you think? Can you come and do a concert and have a little dinner with the president? Dean Martin said, tell John Kennedy I will come because I'm a friend of Frank's. I'll do two songs, but I don't want to eat with him. Oh. That's Dean Martin right there, man. I love. What did they do? Did they do it? You think? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to eat with him. I don't want to eat with him. I'll come and sing, but I don't want to eat with him. <laughs> his his songs it, it come came out of his mouth like the ending would like butter. Just oh, like, yeah. I know. And oh, he yeah. would just sit there. And there's one where he lights up a cigarette. Oh, we're allowed to curse, right? You can say whatever you okay. want. Um, you already but, told one guy to fuck him. I know. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I forgot. I thought. Maybe that was, uh, but he would light that cigarette up, and then you know, and he would, and I turned to my friends. I'm like, that's right. Look at him fucking lighting that cigarette. Yeah. So cool, sitting in front of the piano, yep. and he was singing. I know it's over. I know. Yeah. I so am beautiful. more of a Dean fan than I was a Frank. Oh, my mother adored Dean Martin, and he was funny. He did these things that I tell my friend: if you stop watching it, it's a it's a three minute video. Don't look away. He does that thing where he starts running like he's and then he stops, <laughs> and then he or he or like he stride. Uh, yeah, right, right. He takes a big stride, but then he's like too too energetic, and then he turns to the guy at the piano. And he goes, "How come your lines keep getting longer every night?" <laughs> yeah, it's just all this rapport. Or he does the thing where he picks up a penny and. In the middle of a show that he finds while he's singing yep. like he bends down yep. picks it up does a flip and he doesn't even catch it but he keeps singing <laughs> or he does the thing with the mic where he goes to grab the mic stand but it's not there but it's not you know, there, it's, not there <laughs> you know, it's all great stuff he had a great line Les Brown and his band of renown was his band mm-hmm. Les Brown and the band of renown right well one night they're playing a show and for some reason Les Brown starts talking and Dean looks over at him like and he didn't say anything and then finally, Les Brown realizes he maybe shouldn't be talking so much. And Dean turns back to the crowd and says, let's have a little more music and a little less Brown. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought I he said. That Sometimes stuff. I'll take those lines and I'll use them. Like, I'll go, hold the band. I do the thing, hold the band. <laughs> right, yeah, I love right. hold the band. Hold the band. And they just keep playing. I, I go, it. hold the band. To my, to my guys, <laughs> they keep playing. I go, hold the band. I go, what don't you get? What don't you get? In 20 years, I never asked you guys to hold it. That's what he said. <laughs> I'm telling you, flat out, uh, it's a great thing that you're doing because I don't, I don't think anybody else is doing it, are they? No. No, no, I mean, I think it's And really, it is really work. Smart. And you know, it's, it's funny you say it about six months ago when I go, I got to bring one guy on the road. And by the way, full disclosure, all that is less work for me. Because if one, <laughs> yeah, if one guy has the keyboard and yeah. he plays the sax and he has the iPad in there, I don't have to train the three other or two other local musicians. He's there with them. And it's not only music, it's a lot of bits. There's a lot of comedy that comes from the bands. So he's just yeah. there. He cues the drummer. He does eight billion things that just come naturally to him because he's done my show so many times, but I don't always get to bring him with me. Mm-hmm. So when I get to bring him with me, but about six months ago, I said to my manager, I go, 
did I get myself in over my head? <laughs> because I yeah. can't imagine going to a venue now without the band. Because I hope people watch my Netflix special and go, you know, oh, it was a great show. If I didn't bring the band, I said to my manager, what would happen? Right. And maybe they'd go, oh, it was great, but he, he didn't have the band with him. I love the so band. So I go, I, I think I need band. to do it. Yeah. Sometimes if I only have one guy... I, we set up like six other music stands, like there's six other musicians, and we yeah. have like we'll put bongos on a chair, and, and I just all I have is one guy. I go, I say, oh my band guy in a bus accident. They're all oh, dead, folks. They're all dead. <laughs> they're all dead, but the show must go on, and that works. Uh, that oh, works. That works. works too. See, I think that's great comedy. I just think it's a cultural thing, first of all. Now, yeah. what's your what's your heritage? Glasses. Uh, Jewish by birth. Jewish by glass yeah. is a Jewish name. Well, usually as glass men, I guess it stems glass from. Men. But I don't adhere to any, uh, you know, any religion. Uh, but I, but I'm, yeah, I don't play. You know, people go, "What are you?" I'm nothing. Well, I know what you're asking. So yeah, <laughs> Jewish boy. My, uh, you know, when I was when I grew up, I used to say because I used to say I was half Jewish, half Italian, and I think the genuine reason was it stopped people uh, indirectly. Yeah, yeah. it uh, it gave people a, a way for me to secretly prove how much we can think oh that's so italian in you or that so all the things yeah. i would do my friend would go man that italian in you really comes through and i never said anything but judd apatow years ago affectionately go he goes are you a self-hating jew and i was Ooh. like but affectionately like you're no, no, no, not, you know, I know I and i went i go this was years and years ago i go i oh i, I know and i told him why i go no and i proved it i go so after that, people would go, you know, it comes up in conversation a month later. Hey, well, what, what's your, you know, your background? I go, I'm half Jewish. And then I remember what Chud would say. And I go, they go, oh, what's the other half? I go, Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I'm breaking it to you slowly. <laughs> you get that. That's fine. It's yeah. not a problem, is it? No. But now, yeah, no, I was, my mom and dad were both Jewish. Isn't it kind of weird, though, for a Jew to be a comedian? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Great to be here. <laughs> but I, I, no, I, I seriously, how long have you been doing the band now? About hard like this, about two years. Two years. Year yeah, and a, year and a, a year and a half. <clears throat> year and a half, like where it's everywhere. Because I, yeah, I saw it the first time, I thought, that this is really smart. Because it did remind me of what exactly what you're mm -hmm. talking about. Dean Martin being funny and being you know playing great music. Because music is good. Yeah. It is. Yeah, right, exactly. It's really good music. And, and, you know, sometimes I have them play as even the crowd's being seated. And that just makes the whole night longer because sometimes that's a half an hour or an hour. Some clubs have, they seat the crowd for an hour. Really? So as they're coming in for an hour, there's three people on stage, you know, just, you know, one club I had a stand-up bass, drums, and a keyboard. People come into a comedy club and the lights, I have them a little lower than normal. And then there's three guys playing instruments, or, you know, guys and girls. And, uh... And then it's just sexy as they're being seated. So the night yeah. has begun before the show I starts. I think it's very smart. Yeah, because people, really smart. and it doesn't cost that much really for me to, it doesn't cost me anything. Matter of fact, I'm always asking the band, do you mind going out there and playing? It's an hour you'd have to play. They're like, we don't care. We're here. We'd like to play. So, yeah, because it's what they like to yeah, do. Yeah. I wonder why nobody else kind of caught that. Because as you Every time I ever saw Don Rickles, who, by the way, was one of the nicest men I've ever met in my was life. It, what, yeah, he was. A what a wonderful guy he was. Yeah. Just a, a terrific man. But, but every time I ever saw him, he had a band. 
and it was a big part of his act. Yeah. You know, it's very, very smart. Yeah, at the end, when he had so much money, I mean, he'd have, like, you know, certain venues. He'd have, like, a 13-piece orchestra. You know, I guess that would be an orchestra. No, a 13-piece band, I guess. But it's orchestra-like, you know? Yeah. And they would play all the, oh, it was so great when you were sitting there, and all of a sudden they go, ladies and gentlemen, because the show was going to start, Enjoy the sounds of Don Rickles. And they do a medley of... And then they'd go through all the music that he uses throughout a show, just as like a three-minute opening. And then it would go dark, like, boom, pitch black. And then the guy on the drum. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Warmth himself, Don Rickles. He'd come out. I was 13 years old, saw him at the Valley Forge Music Fair, 3,000 people in the rounds. And he came through that crowd. And I tell you, I got the chills. I was 13. And I knew the band. I was like, this is the best thing. And I remember he got mad at the band guy. He goes, I come out here and I do the whole thing. I do the circle. It's important for the people to do the circle. And you're up here. It's not about you. And you go, on and on and on and quite frankly you ruined the whole show <laughs> and, then the, and then you hear the mic drop he, he drops the mic he runs into the ground I don't want to do it anymore stand up lady he sit, takes her seat he tells someone to stand up and he just takes her seat he just sits there yelling 3,000 people he's not yelling with a lav mic he's just yelling so if you're all the way over there but it sounds beautiful that it's not in the mic oh it was me and my brother and then he then he made the rounds we were the we were in that night me and my brother Brother, we're in the first row, and he made oh. that circle where the band's going, and he said something to somebody in the back. It was like he made little comments about everybody. He goes by me and my brother. See, he did say sweet things. He goes, "What's your name, my friend?" My brother goes, "Michael." My brother was fifteen. He goes, "You seem like nice young boys," and he like said something sweet. Me and my brother, he went a little further. We're like, why didn't we get insulted? Yeah. <laughs> What the hell was that? What's wrong with us? Yeah, what the hell? Why, why is he saying we're nice boys? Well, but he probably just saw these like two innocents just taking funny. him in. And you yeah. know, we were, we couldn't take our eyes off of it. We're like, we'd seen him on TV, but we're like, right. oh my God. And it was so great. And oh, we loved it. It really affected, it really influenced me, obviously, because oh, that's oh, probably God, yes. why I like the band. Do you sing? I don't sing seriously. I, I'll hit like, you know, I like sometimes I'll be like, whether I'm right, and then the band, and I always go to a note till I can't hit it, which is usually 40 seconds in, and then I blame it on the band, but that's the joke. I go, I right. think you fucked up the whole song where you play the drums, <laughs> I need a two count, so you and you're giving me a half of a C but with a barrier, which means nothing at all. <laughs> it's no, so, you know, but it sounds like I go, of course I know about music, you know? But uh, I don't, I don't, I'm nice to, but I'm also silly with the band. Like, I don't want to make the whole shtick that I just yell at them because I don't. I I have great affection for these guys. uh, Rickles would sing every once in a while. He would, he would. He goes, uh, uh, I'm a nice guy in spite of what you heard. I'm a polite guy. Whenever (laughs) you see me, just don't stop the chat because I'm starring lady. So you did you go after the crowd a little bit during these things as well? No, I don't. No, you um, don't. Because I, I, I don't. I haven't seen you do it. That's why I was asking. No, I, I not because I wouldn't, wouldn't mind some you know good crowd work because I you know obviously I love Rickles, but no, I don't really. I I, uh, I go after I only go after someone if I think they're being rude or talking a lot. Yeah, but yeah. Mostly, I'm just asking the crowd to as a mass engage with me to be silly sometimes. That's what I always say, you know, just for them to be silly. But as long as they're into it. The problem is sometimes I can get mad before I even go out there because when the band takes the stage, like before the show starts, all the lights in the house go down. 
And then the band, I, you know, just everything stays the same. And then the band goes out to a song every night like, as they take the stage. And then they start seating and then the drummer gets to his drums and he plays along with it. And then the other guy takes. And if I look through the curtain and I see people with no, like I see certain people, they're going, oh, this is going to be fun. You know? If I see people with a blank look on their face, I get mad at the crowd before I even go. <laughs> I go my brother's like, Todd, you can't get mad before you go out already. Yeah, well, I go, I am. I look at that. Look at that table. I go, look, look, look, right over there. He goes, really? Yeah. Where, where were you at where musicians were taking the stage? in front of you and you weren't looking at the menu you know or, or looking you know to, uh, anyway now I'm pissed off I don't want to do the show anymore well do you ever hear the story about you must have heard the story about Rickles and Meyer Lansky at the Fountain Blue do you ever hear this story was that with the uh, with the um, with people or he, he, he, he they moved two tables to make room for Meyer Lansky no so I don't know this Rickles I up on stage at the Fountain Blue in Miami ladies and gentlemen uh, and he's in the, not in the middle of his act, but he's begun his act on stage. All of a sudden the door is open. He's like, you can tell he's not happy because the door is open. And like, and then all of a sudden he realizes it's Meyer Lansky for younger people. Meyer Lansky was a, was a gangster with, uh, pretty much, uh, what, uh, what the hell's his name? The Italian guy with the crooked eye. What the hell was his name? Uh, Lucky Luciano. They were big time buddies. So he realizes it's Meyer Lansky. And on stage, Don Rickles goes, here's what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a little time here. A really good friend of mine. I've known him forever. He's, he's here. Meyer Lansky's with us. Uh, could, Manny, could you move those two tables and bring another table right here front and center for, for Mr. Lansky? <clears throat> so they're doing all that. He's just standing on stage, just kind of, you know, not doing anything. He's not doing any act. They bring the table, they put a tablecloth out, some nice chairs, all the rest of it. He goes, okay, so you're sitting down there, you're comfortable, Meyer, that's great. Uh, could you bring him a bottle of champagne, just put it on my tab, a nice bottle of champagne for Meyer Lansky and his, his people. That's terrific. Okay, you're all covered. Okay, let me get back to my act now, Meyer, but tell you what, I just want you to be comfortable while you're here. I want you to enjoy the show, get comfortable. Tell you what, why don't you make yourself comfortable? Kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's great. Make himself kill somebody. And they loved it. They loved it. They loved it. He used to go, these guys used to come see me. He would like tell Jimmy Kimmel, like, they come to see me and they would sit in the first row, they would be laughing, but they'd be like, I didn't know what they were doing. He goes, it ended up, they were choking on (laughs) gunpowder. That's life. That's what it's all about, Martin. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. I, I think that's life was one of the songs that was on the Dean Martin. Did. That was on Frank's list in teens. I, so. I think it's very. We need more entertainment like that. Mm-hmm. That's why I, like I said, I told you a year and a half ago or two years or whatever it was. I love what you're doing because. It's just a very comfortable, very funny thing. It's very, it's really entertaining, too. It's fun. And, you know, most of the audiences that come out, just by the nature of comedy clubs, or at least the audience, is fairly young, and they yeah. love it. They're not, they're not like, oh, what's this? They're, they love it. It's just fun music going back and forth. I mean, it's, it's a stand-up show, but uh, the music part of it is... Uh, and even when they're leaving, like, the band plays as they're leaving, and then I yeah. come back out three times and do yeah. three more, like, joking songs. I do, like, Bismarck Key, You Got What I Need. Bismarck Key, <laughs> and, I, and I just... And I'm with the band. We're just singing it loud. And then I come back out again. I do Mr. Rogers. It's such a good feeling. You know that we're friends. We just keep, like, it's doing right. encore after encore. But I wait till about 70% of the audience has left. 
and oh, really? I'll leave. Yeah. And then seventy well, percent's yeah. gone. And then I come back on the stage like that's my encore. But I get rid of you know, and then uh, and then I did it. I don't. You haven't been there yet. When I you, have you been there night yet? Yeah, Tuesday I was. Tuesday night. Yeah. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Brandon, you didn't show up, huh? Oh no, no, no. no he's, day, he man. works during the day. He works during the day. <laughs> but he'll be there. I, I'm not teasing. <laughs> I am. No. <laughs> You're. I, I, I love going after Brandon. That's he said, "When we go on that podcast, don't you make fun of me in front of Tom." <laughs> Tom's a big off friend. Yeah. They already give me a lot of shit. <laughs> if you just say nice things about the club, Todd. You hear me now? Read this script. <laughs> read, read the club script. Lewis gave me some lines. Yeah, Lewis wrote it out for you. That's yeah, a wonderful idea. It's a great plan, as a matter of fact. I um, That whole experience, just going to see... Look, there are some people that stand up at the mic and they do these brilliant... Well, Dave Chappelle does brilliant monologue. I mean, he just does. Uh, and then other people do what they do. They're, you know, they're pairs of people. They're, you know, what you're doing. I think... Has anybody else picked up on that yet? Because I think they will. I mean, it's do, I'm doing. You know, it's going well. Like you know, I look at I look yeah. at my uh, you know after the Netflix special. You know, I've been doing comedy a long time. I look at the net. You know, going out to clubs and it keeps getting better and better. So that's all. I'm you know I'm, I'm happy about it and still getting to perform stand up and you know I'm loving it. I loved it before. I've loved it. I've always you know really enjoyed it. I don't get oh, I don't I really know. get tired of it. The the travel. You know, I come in a day early before there's any shows, mm-hmm. so I can chill and get get. Good idea. I don't have a show that night, so it's a very relaxing day of travel. I leave LA at eleven or twelve because I don't have a show in the afternoon, so it, that that's a lot of it. It's a, and I don't try to rush home the day of the close. You know, yeah. Sunday. If I know yeah. Sunday, I have to leave. Even if you take an eleven o'clock flight, that means you still got to get up at eight. Yeah. yeah. So I take four or five o'clock flight out on Sunday. That way, Saturday night when it hits midnight, I'm not like, oh, I got to get up. Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love the whole. I've been really enjoying it. And you know, the, at this point in my career, I can I work. Good comedy clubs are fun to work because they know what they're oh, doing yeah. and they know how to they they you know they take care of the press, they take care of the hotel. You just go in and be funny. So. It's all good. It is a great. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. <laughs> uh, fold up the tent. Um, where did it? Was there somebody that inspired you screaming at people? You're a fucking idiot. I mean, did anybody? Did somebody? I think I always like yelling in a silly way. Yelling is funny. Yeah, yelling is funny. But I don't. I don't pick. Like I'm not. Like I've seen comedians talk. To, like no one has to be worried in the front row of my crowds because I do not go through the audience and go, no. "Where's your shirt? Are you two on a date? Are you?" People are nervous <laughs> to sit in the first row. They're nervous to sit in the yeah, first row. Oh Sometimes God. they just want to enjoy the show. <laughs> yep. So I don't do that. Now, if people do it, that's fine. And I've seen people do good crowd work. I want to really point that out. That I think. Uh, Todd Berry does good crowd work. Well, back years ago, I used to watch Ellen DeGeneres do oh, good yeah, crowd work. And when yeah. I mean she didn't pick low-hanging fruit. If somebody had a name that was different, I, sub, subconsciously I think a performer that does it, like Todd Berry or Ellen or Jimmy Pardo at his best, you know, Jimmy Pardo is great. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't have to go for the low-hanging fruit. If somebody has a funny name, or they, they you know, I can do better than that. I don't have to do crowd work that a bully in high school could do. Right, right. So, But I love yelling. At, I just, I don't know why I always think yelling is funny. Especially so yelling. uncle or your dad? Or anybody that did that? No, I, really? I uh, no. <laughs> uh, prop, well, Don Rickles probably influenced me because yeah, he probably, did a lot of comedic yeah. yelling, yelling yeah, at the band. Someone said yeah, Don Rickles did. mastered fake. I'll say the word wrong, but you'll be able to say it right. And this is not an insult; it's a compliment. He mastered fake in indentation. Hey, what's it when you're a fan? In, what's that word? Indignation. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what indignant? Is it? 
Yeah, like, yeah, like how dare you? Like, like someone would go yes. to him. Now you went to the, the school of the Juilliard or whatever. Did, did you did you get on a scholarship? Which is a fair question, right? Mm-hmm. And he'd go, but he knew what he was doing. That he was right. he'd go, No, I paid. What are you, a dummy? <laughs> no, I just I just walked in and started to act. No, I walked in and started to act and he goes he goes and so he was always he would ask him questions and he would just act like, How dare you? Like, now your daughter got married and you would see him. I'm, I, I'm here to talk about my show. What are you prying into my family? <laughs> uh, but uh, so probably Don Merkel's. Maybe when I was real, like when I was, I remember being in high school, and then I always remember there were the the the, the legends like Rickles and Rodney and Alan King and uh, even Alan King. Alan King. Yeah, I did too, and I didn't even know what he was talking about. But he he yelled a little, not like me, but yeah, he yelled. Yeah. Uh, and then there were, but the guys that I thought. I, I, I that resonated like I could do this, and they were super young. But when I was in high school, they were already established. Were like Jay Leno. I remember seeing yeah. on the Tonight Show or the daytime talk shows. Uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld to watch him on the Tonight Show was always like, you know, mm-hmm. you, I, I I loved it. You know, so I would watch the newer comedians. Some I don't remember uh, their names anymore. Johnny Dark I used to watch a Johnny lot. Johnny Dark, I my know God. he's still around. Is he's he still around? He was always a sweet guy. Yeah. I, yeah, he was always really sweet. So was so were most comedians, which I am proud of. Like, you know, it's really amazing about that you point that out because he once in a while sends me a message, and it's always really nice. Really? Yeah, Johnny, no, very Dark. very nice. Letterman had him do a bit where it was the I don't he would he played I didn't know this till years later he did the uh, now our oldest intern, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Dark, and he wore a page outfit, mm-hmm. NBC studio, right. and he would do bits where he would uh, you know I remember bits bits stay with you for a while. He goes, I remember my mom. Oh, yeah. She would always try to, she'd get me to stay home. She'd find out ways. Johnny, before you go out, could you uh, paint the house? <laughs> like my mother, actually. Nice Catholic woman, could you, right? Could you paint the house? <laughs> I saw him open up for, at the Valley Forge Music Fair. I was 15, working at the Valley Forge Music Fair, 3,000 seat in the round. And he opened up for Engelbert Humperdinck. Oh, God. Yeah, Engelbert Humperdinck. You know what? Can I tell you? As I get older, I'm more embarrassed to, not embarrassed, but like don't want to just say, oh, they're all the bands, because it's like, oh, you're an old guy. You just like, but when I was 15, it was more unique. I loved Engelbert Humperdinck. I would see these guys because the band and their showmanship and... I didn't know how cheesy he was then. Right? <laughs> well, he did make a mistake here at the old Met Center. What did he do? Uh, he was on stage and how, someone... How long ago? Oh, God, 30 years ago, something like that. Maybe longer than that. He's on stage. I mean, it wasn't a big mistake. It's just a mispronunciation. But somebody sent him a note saying they thought he looked a lot like Tom Selleck, right? And he read it, and whoever wrote hand wrote it for him thought they were going to be clever and, you know, talk about the TV show and everything else. And he reads, he literally seriously goes, there are a lot of people that think I look like Magnumpy. <laughs> it's like, Magnum P.I.? Oh, God. <laughs> it's like Engelbert. Oh. Magnumpy? They forgot really? to put the hyphen in there? Uh, apparently, yeah. <laughs> They say you found somebody new. I do a bit like that in my uh, about yeah, the old crooners that they used to tell their jokes, but then they could go right into their song, so it didn't matter if the jokes sucked. Right. So they would be like, all, you know, yeah. like, my father has two uh, wooden legs and he burnt to the ground. They say you found somebody new. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Tell me when will you be mine? 
Todd Glass on the best of. Coming up next, we had Scott Walter on, talking runestones and gravestones with Mike Bryant and Doug Sprinthall. That's how you say it, right? Next on the best of. You mean happiness to me. If you guys don't know who Scott is, if you watched America on Earth on History, now it's on Travel Channel. It just came out over the summer. The mm-hmm. new se- Well, it's not really a new season, but it's new to Travel Channel. New to Travel, yep. Yep. And you just had your book come out called The Cryptic Code of the Templars in America. Now, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Knights Templar. Only from uh, reading the Da Vinci Code. That's, my <laughs> own, that's probably how most people were introduced to the idea. Well, anyway, this right? is guessing. a fiction. I can tell you that Scott does extensive. Wait, wait. Da Vinci Code was fiction. <laughs> well, it, it had it was had some facts in that's there right. placed into a fictional story, but you you are like the real life Da Vinci Code. You do your research, your explorations. You go to all these locations to find these, you know, clues and symbols and stuff, and you try and put it all together. And right. So what is new in this book? Oh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. I mean, you know, the this book is uh, builds off of three other books that basically, just like you said, I've mm-hmm. been going out and researching and looking at various artifacts, going to sites and trying to figure out what is the real history um, Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Uh-oh. hang on, we have a guest in, in our midst. They have the total... Oh, have the That's all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're it. live on the air right now. After you. <laughs> <laughs> now you're right. now they're all here. Christ. <laughs> I was just pontificating about your gift on the table, Tom. Oh, I have a gift? Yes, you, you do. have the new book. It just came out on Monday called The Cryptic Code of the Templars in America. Oh, yeah. Thank you very we were just talking about that last time you were in. Yeah, that it was coming out, yep. and it's been delayed for like three months because of layout problems at the printer, and yeah. it had to be reformatted, but it it looks great. I'm very pleased. It's a nice-looking book. Yeah. So, now, what is new in this book that have been in previous books that you've done? Okay, well... One of the things that I'm talking about now that I'm ready to talk about because I feel like I have all the pieces finally in place, mm-hmm. and that is to say that the founding of the United States of America did not start in 1776. It started in 1362. Mm-hmm. And basically, the Kensington Runestone, which is an artifact found in Minnesota in 1898 by a farmer clearing trees, uh, scholars have, have argued over it for 120 years, and uh, it came into my lab back in 2000, and uh, the rock told me that it was real, that it was old, and therefore it had to be genuine. And what I love about rocks, and I'm a geologist, I do material forensics for a living, is that I trust rocks. Mm-hmm. I don't trust some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the rock told me that it was real, that means that everything within that inscription that many scholars said was not medieval had to be medieval. Mm-hmm. And so I then took five trips. I went over to Sweden and found everything. And, of course, all this did was piss off the scholars even more because I went in their backyard to look for and find what they decided they weren't going to do because they had already made up their minds. 
But the other thing that um, logic told me was that if this artifact is real here in the geographic center of the continent, which is not a coincidence, that means that somebody came here, they came for some reason, mm-hmm. um, and they placed it for you know uh, at that location for a reason. And the reason is, it says right on the stone, acquisition business or taking up land. It's a land claim. Mm -hmm. And it was the beginning, the stake in the ground, if you will, of the beginning of the founding of of this country. That obligation that the medieval Templars who were escaping persecution from the monarchs of Europe and the Roman Catholic Church Mm -hmm. to found a new sanctuary, a new Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. a free Templar state that we now call the United States of America. Now, I've seen the Kensington. Have you seen the Kensington Runestone? Mm. I haven't even seen Anoka. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get get out, man. I gotta get out more often. Well, for us Minnesotans, if you want to see the Kensington Runestone, there's the the Kensington Runestone Museum in Alexandria, Minnesota. That's where it is, okay. And it's the stone is it's pretty big and they have it in a nice display i mean it's not some little stone that you can put in your pocket that's for sure <laughs> i mean it's huge yeah Cassie, you know when you talk the about pocket this, rune stone like, <laughs> they sell pocket rune stones oh, really? the real one the real okay. one is in a pocket Damn, rune stone. I thought we had they have a the, very cute gift shop so. i got your secret to north america right here <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, there, there's so many things that we talk about in this book. Now, the runestone is is an old story, but there is new information about it. And I don't want to get into too many details, but one of the things about the Templars and about the way that they operated and actually was handed down to the Freemasons is um, mathematics, geometry, and astronomy. Mm-hmm. Sacred geometry was very important. And, you know, what do I mean by that? Well... Um, they used certain measurements uh, routinely. One of the things is called the megalithic yard. Mm-hmm. And, and what has recently been discovered is places like Stonehenge, Newgrange, um, in Egypt uh, with the pyramids and other sacred sites is that the unit of measurement used to construct them was something called the megalithic yard. And this has only been recently discovered. And this measure is used or is is calculated using the planet Venus. But it's very sacred. It's very important. In fact, when our founding fathers founded this country, Thomas Jefferson lobbied for our nation's measuring system to be the megalithic yard. But Congress didn't pass it. They wanted to throw a bone back to to Europe, so we used the English foot, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But actually, our founding fathers said, to heck with it. And they laid out our entire capital city using that measurement. To this day, it's still there. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I know, I know that they've done maps of D.C., and it comes up to be like Masonic symbols or something oh, yeah. like that, the way they had designed it and where the, not really monuments, but the important cat you oh, know, buildings. Oh, well, the monuments are part of that whole yeah. sacred layout. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And we talk ab- about that in the book. I'll tell you what my wife discovered mm-hmm. is that the Washington Monument, which has which a, they just reopened today, by the way, today been yeah. closed oh, for like the last three years for a reconstruction. Yeah. Well, they had an earthquake there, and, yeah. and they had you know some more severe damage than they're telling us. Oh, okay. But the but the Washington Monument is basically a giant plinth, mm-hmm. and it casts a shadow, right? And what my wife and Alan Butler, a British researcher, a wonderful guy and a dear friend, discovered was that at certain dates 
and times during the year, it will point to specific monuments that are important. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. I would just want to just see, like, one of the, what are those time-lapse videos of yeah. that? Yeah. That'd be kind of neat. You probably do have that. I would get. You know, this is the weirdest thing in the world. I've been here for, for six minutes. <laughs> for the first time in my life, Michael Bryant and Doug Sprenthal aren't arguing. How is that possible? We had a long conversation about Carl Yastrzemski that was quite interesting. Oh, it very Carl little Yastrzemski. to do with the Templars. Well, I don't yes. like him anymore. Shown some light on the dark side really? of Mr. Yastrzemski. That did you call him a Polak? No, no, no. no. <laughs> more like a racist. Basically. Well, oh, was he? Did you talk about his grandson who hit his first, oh, yeah, home, first home run? Fit, well, he hit his first home run in Fenway Park. Yeah, was I saw him hit a home run earlier. He's he's been having a pretty good season. His grandson It was kind of cool to yeah. see his grandson. Oh, no, Mike and I are both from Rhode Island, and yeah. so we share a passion for the Red Sox, but. And I was 10 in the summer of 67 or 9, I guess, when the Sox almost won. 67. Yep. So you guys are from Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have a question for you, Mm -hmm. in all seriousness. No, I moved out to Massachusetts when I was two. So oh, okay. Not, so here come the excuses. Third grade, I was right. third grade until, January, until junior, so I was there a lot. What, oh, okay. What's your question? So, uh, in all seriousness, the oldest stone and mortar structure on this continent that was built by Europeans is in Rhode Island. Hmm. Do you know what it is? White Castle. You got it. No. I knew it. No, let's see. Um, I probably have heard or seen... Um, Trying to think what's there. I'll give you nothing's one more coming hint. To my, nothing's coming to mind off the top of my head. It's in Newport. It's in Newport. So, I mean, are, are we talking about like the, the, the cliff walk? No. We're talking about something called the Newport Tower. The Newport which, Tower. Which okay. I talk about in the new book mm-hmm. that was built by the Templars. And to this day, they still don't know who built it. They hmm. claim that it was a colonial windmill. And when you look at it, Critically, it, it's ridiculous. So it has where, a fireplace where is it? in it, for God's sakes. Where is it? It's at the top of the hill. It's in Turo Park. Oh, okay. You know where Turo Park I is know where at Turo the top Park of the is. hill? Yep. yep. I didn't know there was a Turo Park in Rhode Island. There's Turo Beach in Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And there's a cemetery there, an old Jewish cemetery. In Cape Cod or Newport? No, in Newport. They don't let yeah. Jewish people in Cape Cod. That was going to be the revelation in the book. <laughs> Trick. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the first cemetery in Rhode Island. And there was one person buried there, and not another person was buried for like a century. <laughs> and they did it to hold that land. <laughs> Well, well, fun fact for you. Rhode Island did some bizarre things because they moved cemeteries. It's one of the states where, like, uh, like there's all sorts of places where there used to be a cemetery here, and then they moved all the gravestones, and they used that land. And so they had all sorts of issues with that. And it that happened probably, all over the state. Yeah. Yeah. No money involved? I'm like, hey, <laughs> I know it's a shock to you, Tom. Yeah, money, really. People are after the <laughs> money. That's really, really hard for me to believe. Oh, but, yeah. uh, you know. Oh, by the way, I... A couple of listeners already are blasting me for being late today, but uh, they're they're putting our house on the market tomorrow morning. So they're all there are tons of people in my house. I open up my garage door, and there are four cars blocking me in. Oh, I hate that! And I weaseled around. It took me about ten minutes to weasel around <laughs> all of them. Wow! And then I finally got out of my own garage. You didn't bang up the Mustang again, did you? Oh, no, no, we no. just got it I fixed. I hope not. I hope not. I could just imagine you what you were saying. Yes, I was. Well, I'm very even tempered right now. <laughs> my 
was it like a self. Fi- was it like a fifty point turn to get out of the driveway? Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> forward, back, forward, back, forward. Surprised back. you didn't yeah. just ride down in one of those little lime scooters. <laughs> I mean, the ones that lay in the street in yeah, Golden Valley. Yeah, can you Valley? see Tom riding one of those? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I still want somebody to explain it to me. So you get to use a scooter for free to help you get around. No, it's not free. You got to. There's an app. Was oh, it a dollar? And you, yeah, it's a, it's a. I have no idea what it is. They're pretty inexpensive. I don't know. It's like a dollar a mile or something like that. Is that what it but is? then when you're done, you just leave it. Yeah, but do you throw it in the street? Because that's the usually that's Olympia. what people do. That's yeah, they I do. They throw it right in the street. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you get this. You don't have no insurance. Nothing. You pay a couple of bucks. You get to use it, and you can't. You don't have the decency to put it back the way you found it. It's a weird business model because there's a yeah. couple of companies that, that I think Lime's one, Bird's another one, and they'll just invade a city and just drop off like a thousand of them. Hmm. Yeah, I saw that. I saw the guy doing it, as a matter of fact, dropping them all off, and he looked at me like I was going to steal them or something. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. He did. He looked at me like, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, you kind of have that look. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> they probably don't drop a lot of them off on Plymouth and Penn. Well, maybe they do. Uh, my favorite story of all time about the uh, what were they, the city bikes called again? The oh yeah, you know, all the, the city bike racks and all that stuff. The, they, the city green things. Yeah, I think they were green. So I'm driving down Golden Valley Road, right in front of North Commons Park, my park, park of my childhood. Played many a baseball and football game there. Had a ball. Was wonderful. I'm driving by and I see a bike rack. I'm like, they're gonna put a bike rack here for. Are those rental too, or are those free? I think those are rentals. Yeah, they're, they're, rental they're all rentals. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so I drive by the first day, and the rack's there. I drive by the next day, and the bikes are all in the rack. I buy. I drive by the third day, and there are no bikes in the rack. I drive by the fourth day. There's police tape around the. <laughs> <bike>. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the rack was gone. Well, the rack would have been. Well, the rack is gone now. (laughs) Yep, the rack is gone completely now. Yeah, the old rental thing down on uh, Golden Valley Road by North Commons didn't go over all that big. I remember a couple of years ago when we were riding the Tour de Cure and we made that triumphant return down uh, Plymouth Avenue in a driving rainstorm. All the uh, neighbors are in the front yard going, what are these crazy white people doing today? What's wrong with these people? It was phenomenal. Everybody on Plymouth Avenue was phenomenal. (laughs) We shall take a break. Oh, I don't have to take it yet for about 20 more seconds. Tell a joke then. Two guys walk into a bar. Thank you very much. <laughs> I used to do drugs. What, the I guy still has, do, is, but I used to do drugs his too. Guns loaded with ammunition. He says, One of you guys slept with my wife, and somebody in back says, You're going to need more bullets than that. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Are you his wife was a punch board? Is that what you were saying? <laughs> so. If she had as many coming out of her as she had in her, she'd look like a porcupine. Is that what you're saying? Uh, Whoa! Whoa! So. The end of the family hour. Right? <laughs> right back. This is what happens when you get all men in a room. Oh, wiener jokes. <laughs> we'll be right back. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. on the best of coming up next closing out the show we're opening up the all the way back to episode 456 with Billy Zabka and Rick Bronson sweep the leg Billy Zabka from Karate Kid fame 
İyi akşama bakarız abi. I'm half Bohemian. Ah, very nice. I only know how to swear in it though, so. What does Sakaraminski mean? I've always wanted to know. Well, why don't we get, we'll introduce the show <laughs> okay. and then we'll start talking to Billy Zabka. Right. Uh, the Tom com from the RentersWarehouse.com studios with Catherine Brandt. Andy Brett Bernard. Alex is here. Rick Bronson's going to be here. They're, they're both. What happened, Billy? Our special guest, William Michael Billy Zabka. We'll talk to Billy about many, many different things. Um, but uh, they're doing a, a, a Beatles archive thing at the Mall of America. It's kind of a Beatles oh, Hall yeah. of Fame deal. And the are people. Guys, are we live right now? Or are we on we are. We're right live now? right now. Oh. <clears throat> Indeed, we are. It's but uh, schedule. So my our our daughter Catherine and my daughter Alex, twenty five years old, is a huge Beatle fan. So there's been pandemonium. way bigger of a Beatle fan than Mom is. <laughs> wow, way bigger, cool but daughter. It has been honest to God, Billy. It has been just a madhouse around here for the last hour, and my voice is starting to go because I was having such a good time. <laughs> but anyway, we're, so Alex, Billy, yeah. Billy can swear in Bohemian. Yeezy Shmudia? A little bit. Jack, a little Bulgarian. A little Bulgarian. German, yeah. I lived in Eastern Europe for a while, so I know just enough to get me in trouble and get myself into conversations I can't finish. Yeah, my mother was uh, 100% Bohemian, and she learned English as a second language, as a matter of fact, and she used to swear in Bohemian all the time. It was Yeezy Shmudia, Sakaraminsky, and I don't know what the Sakaraminsky means. Sakaraminsky. I'm, sure I'm sure this is a family type show. You don't want a translation on that one. No, it's not a family type show at all. Well, I mean, oh. it is. And it isn't. <laughs> yeah, it is. It and it they're isn't, all grown Billy. up, so. <laughs> now, Zabka is what? Is that a Polish name? It's a Czech name. Oh, it is a Czech name. So Zabka. The only reason I ask you that is there's an actual A between the Z and the B, and usually in Bohemian there are there's like one. You might get one vowel. That'd be about it. Well, as the Bohemians say, we are not Czech. No, well, you're That's not. Right. That's, That's true. Right, so. Hell no, we're not. It's but, very close in well, the language, though. My God. An example, Billy, would be Kent Herbeck from the Minnesota Twins won a couple of World Series. His name is spelled H R B E K. Bohemian guys, just now you get one vowel. That's it. It's yeah, like uh, ancient lucky. Hebrew, where they didn't, they literally didn't have vowels at all. <laughs> why are you all? Why are you so good at playing a villain? Is what I'd like to know. <laughs> Uh, why am I? Well, I'm a, you know, what do you mean? Why am I so good? I'm an actor. Uh, I know, but you know, I mean, I play other things. It's just the things that you know me from. That I've been play, uh, playing right now on some family channel. Right. I'm playing a villain. I'm lifting a table or getting a, you know, getting a cramp or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that's a nice touch. Uh, yeah, playing a villain is uh, is so much fun though. Well, yeah. That, uh, I think a good villain is is somebody that looks at the world in a bent way, and they see themselves as a as a hero, and you you find something. You know, Darth Vader is all evil, and you know, even since Kreese and Karate Kid is all evil. Right. My characters, I always tried to find <clears throat> a little hook that a little you know weak link in them, a little humanity in them, and so you kind of love to hate them. You don't just hate them. Hopefully, you love to hate them. Well, no, I think that's very very true, and it does take some ability to do. Uh, is Rick going to come in, Alex? Do you know? Because yeah, I'm sure he'd love to talk to you. He can come in whenever he wants, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, well, somebody should probably tell him to come in. Come into the studio. But mm-hmm. any, uh, now, I did not know. That, so you have a black belt in Tang Sudo. Uh, you, have you been on IMDb? 
Pro. No, no, I just I have your I have your uh, bio right in front of me. Our Booker gave us a blurb. So the Booker must have yeah. done it. Yeah. Is yeah, that true? That, yeah, that, uh, well, that, yeah, true, but um that, yeah, no, I don't have a black belt. The second green, which is about a step and a half from a black belt. Um how that ended up on wherever is uh, not my doing. Well, I'll but, tell you this, uh, I was, Billy. I didn't have a black like when I did karate kid, I was a white belt. I didn't know any karate at all, but I was oh, you did? the kind of black belt standard, you know, like in technically, there's a couple ways you earn a black belt by going through all these tests and all these katas and years of discipline. I was kind of crash course in this, you know, stretching my leg into impossible positions and learning the technical stuff. So, um, you know, I would spar black belts in my class and all that, but I don't, I haven't earned my black belt, but I need to because I've got a four year old kid now who uh, I'm teaching karate and I'm about to get him into martial arts and I'm not going to be able to get him all the way through unless daddy finishes up so i'm about to finish up and, and then make it official now billy i gotta tell you um my daughter loved how i actually you, you got both uh generations of the family here because i love psych alex loves how <laughs> i met how i met your mother so you, you got everybody covered that's great you know what's crazy is like i have these kids i, I take my friend to baskin robbins and the kids that work there know me by name usually it's you know, aren't you the bad guy from Karate Kid? Aren't you Johnny Lawrence? Because <laughs> Howie Mitchell's mother used my actual name. They're like, aren't you Billy Zapkin? This <laughs> is so strange. Yeah, you know, that's... I got these kids, I got these, these con shows and sign autographs, and I've got 12, 13-year-old kids come up to my table. I'm like, you're not... I don't know my name. It's just, it's wild. This new generation with the with the show did a lot of fun stuff for me. No, you just did, uh, did an indie film as well? Yeah, I just did a really sweet film about a kid with autism. Uh, I mean, with Down syndrome, and uh, he kind of brings joy to this town. It's a bunch of uh, kind of you know alcoholics and some, some characters that are bent, and he brings a lot of light into these lives. Really sweet film called Produce. Now, Billy, the reason I ask you that is because I'm a, I'm a huge um, indie film fan. I have a lot of problems with the big production Hollywood movies that I just find them really, really boring. It's the yeah. it's the indie films and the, not not low budget film, but let's say smaller budget films that I really enjoy. Uh, we just saw uh, God's Pocket, which was one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's last movies. A very it was a yeah. it was a small. I, I think it was IFC. I think it was, I think it was yeah. an IFC film. Mm-hmm. I love indie films. I, I find that you have no matter what the storyline is, indie films you always have really terrific acting in them. Yeah, there's a, I, I don't know what the film is. It just came out, but it it cleaned up the box office over the weekend, and it's a, it was like a twelve million dollar budget, really simple story about people, and it beat all the big blockbusters. Yep, it, it, I don't remember the name of it. I, I just saw the oh, breakdown God. on it, but um, there's the one that too, I think I think we're starved for that. You know, I, think I agree. It, yeah, it was the something of our stars. Rusty gave fault me this. in our stars. The fault in our stars. Yeah. That's exactly what yeah. Billy's talking right, about. Right. Yep. The Fault in Our Stars just killed it at the box office. It made like $48 million, and I think the budget on the film was $12 million. It like quadrupled its yeah. money in the first weekend. I mean, unless you, you know, just <clears throat> unless you want to watch a giant movie with special effects, there's really no nothing other with content anymore. Yeah, there's no know? doubt about that. Yeah, Rick Bronson is not looking. Stimulated visually by all the video games and by all the fast, fast-cutting and digital stuff everybody's accustomed to a certain thing but it's like serving hamburgers in my opinion and people are looking for a good yeah story. you want a good story you want you know humanity represented and, and people to identify with characters in a real way because how do you how do you identify with superheroes and people flying through the sky you know you can't really see yourself in that no, and the kids today are, are getting you know completely saturated with this 
fantasy world, and, and I think some of the, the films I, I'm leaning towards, like this movie I just did, Produce, it's a family film. It's a sweet story. It's a people story. It's done for a very low budget, but it's just a beautiful story, and I think that's, you know, that medium of film is uh, is a tool, and you can download, you know, good stories and and messages and... Uh, or you could overstimulate and overload the senses with sound and visual stuff and give you a, an escape from the real world, but I don't see how that's serving anybody except, you know, the people that are making it and making a lot of money. And then worldwide, you have this, you know, it's it's huge overseas. Like, you're not even in America. So right. It's like where the, what everybody used to. So there's a new standard in what people are used to seeing. I don't know. No, well, and, uh, you know, like a movie like The Karate Kid, we saw that at the, they had an Oscar screening at the Academy, uh, the Outdoor Academy last summer, and it just felt so slow. But it was it still held the screen and these characters developed. You know, Daniel Miyagi mm-hmm. developed, and it's like we need more of that kind of family people stuff. Yeah, no question about that. Now, produce will be uh, released. Uh well, indies indies really are not released wide. They they open usually in in New York and L.A. and then they go from there. Or festivals often. Festivals yeah. often, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, unless they catch on real big, you know, and right. someone will go to a festival, they'll buy it, and then you know somebody will buy it and they'll throw it out there. And usually they put it on the screens just to get just so they could say it was in the theaters because then when they go to sell it to Redbox and everybody else, it gets a higher value. So yeah. they can put it in for two weeks and make a bigger sale but sometimes it'll stick you know i don't know if you know this but i did an indie film that i shot in Czech and Prague in the in the czech republic it's a short film it was nominated for an oscar in 2004 and it's a beautiful story about humanity um called most um it's all czech language everybody speaks czech and uh, there's a few english speaking in there and it's just a gorgeous film you know, Billy, I want to thank you personally because now um, my wife, the rest of the night, is going to be talking about how wonderful Prague is and how the greatest place on earth. And thanks, Billy. Yeah, it is. Thanks for that. It is so pretty. <laughs> she, that my daughter and my wife have been there. I have not been there. I, I awesome. They work. shoot a lot of movies in Prague because it's so pretty. Yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. It's beautiful. It is. No question. Billy, you have to come back once in a while. It's great talking to you. I appreciate it, y'all. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Billy Zabka. All right. Have a great day. You too. Movie's called Produce. i got to mention this to Rick Bronson. Rick Bronson is our special guest, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, every week on Thursdays, Rick Bronson's House Comedy, the headliner comes in and does the podcast. It's kind of nice because we do the podcast on Thursday, so I get to know the headliner. And then the next morning, they appear on the KQ Morning Show, so it's like they come in the next day. It's just like Jay Farrow, you know, people like Jay's that. great. For, just a great. As for now, there actually has been talk of, uh, of someone at the station mentioned it, one of the sales uh, people, that they want to start doing it on Thursdays. They do? So you might be meeting them first in the morning for. Uh, and then they and, come on. And then get them here. Why would they do that? I don't know. I, actually, so for me, I'll, I'll be for honest, be for better. me, it's better. because yeah, it is better for Oh, I'll, yeah, then I'll, you've I'll got say, the whole weekend. Well, that's just mm-hmm. it. I mean, people make their plans for Friday and Saturday night, you know, often a week in advance or at least by Thursday. So that's one of the reasons why I've never advertised. You know, I'm a firm believer in radio and podcasts and all any and this medium, but I'd never advertise for really, you know, that anything in the evening or, dry, you know, that six. Because well, right, people already right. know what they're doing. Right. They're not going to go, oh, yeah, let's stop those plans and go here. You know, I just thought we should do. 
We should call Paul Mercurio. Paul. We just, well, the only reason I bring that up is because we... He, he introduced us, yeah. He, he did. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't true. know that. I, I played he, off with Rick He set us up on our first date. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly I really right. I didn't know it. It was lovely. What if I have his number on my phone? I'll, I know I'll I'll have I have it. it. I'll have it. But I don't yeah. have my phone in here. I need to go out and get it if you oh, need it. My phone. I will have that. I don't know if I have Paul on my... I mean, I know it's You number. don't have anybody's number on your <laughs> on your new fan-dangled phone. What, what do you get? What kind of new phone do you get? It's just any cell phone with your fan-dangled to him. I am now beta testing, uh, foolishly, Apple's uh, 8.0. Um, Is that a good plan? Uh, they're new. It's, that's going to be the next software release with the next uh, iPhone or in this fall. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a real idiot with Apple product. Me and Robert Kelly, very funny comedian as well. We both need to be on the cutting edge of Apple at all times. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, I've bought enough stuff that I I really feel that even now in his death, Steve Jobs should send me Christmas cards every year. <laughs> yes. Thank you note or something. Here's Paul's number. If, uh, give it to Michael. I, I like give to, Paul a call. I'm going to talk to him Maybe anyway. you should text him and let him know that we're calling. Oh, no. Let's hell surprise no. the hell out well, of him. He calls me randomly. Does he? he does. Absolutely. Yes, yes he, does. he does. But I haven't spoken to him in a couple of months. It no, he's really weird. He should more. ask. Uh, actually, that would be a great story if we can get him on the air. You'll, you'll have to ask Paul about what he sent me as a gift. A gift? Yeah. He sent me goddamn gifts. Well, this, this I'm was, upset. This was a, it was an interesting day. It was actually the first time. Uh, I, actually, it was the weekend that we uh, that we golfed together. There we go. We go. Midland Hills. Um, it was Midland Hills, wasn't it? Because mm-hmm. I was just talking to your uh, future son-in-law, and, he's, and I was trying to remember if it was the um, – I said, is the number one hole? Does it go downhill, about 350 yards? And then I'm rattling off all these different – I can't remember what my wife said yesterday, but I can walk through almost oh, every yeah. round oh, yeah. of golf I've ever played, and even <laughs> oh, if I played yeah. a track once. Yes. 16th, oh, excuse me, 15th hole, Mercurio finally hits a good shot, <laughs> and he's running around with the club up in the air in the middle of the goddamn <laughs> – fairway <laughs> on the 15th fairway uh, who's the greatest it's like settle down wow he's not answering right to voice you left him a nice message oh, I, I figured he was busy or something Piss I, I'll, back I'll, I'll, I'll text him I'll text him I'll see if he'll, he'll end the studio line is 612-313-0287 Paul Mercurio is, he does warm up still for uh, who wants to be a millionaire right. he's executive producer head writer on uh the Daily, the Show, Daily Show from Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Great, brilliant stand-up. He has no energy on stage. No, problem. none whatsoever. Oh, he's no, so great on stage. What, what's the studio is. number here? What's it? 612-313-0287. All right, maybe he just didn't recognize the number unless because yours probably doesn't right. say. That's yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah there's no question about that. So how's the new <clears throat> comedy club in Phoenix going? Um, you know what? Like building out anything else, um, whether you're building a home or business, contractors are never on time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And, <laughs> Tell us about it. Um, yeah, you got that right. Yeah, I don't need a GC. I need JC. I really need to start praying to God. <laughs> and, and if a Jew's looking for Jesus for some yeah. help, that you know things, are, that, things have gone to shit. Unless you're uh, kinky, Friedman. Where <laughs> is it? Where is it in Phoenix? We're actually in North Phoenix. Uh, if you know the area well, not far from Desert Ridge. If you've been to uh, Blue Martini, which is right on High Street in the right. City North, that's right. where we're at. So we're in a great location. Okay. I mean, it's it's really starting to boom. Right beside us is a brand new. 15,000 square foot uh, Toby Keese moving in. Oh, yeah. Um, great. Those places are great. They do really well. From, they I, do. Me, I, even though I live in, uh, in in Canada, in Alberta, which is one of the largest country uh, fan base 
populations mm-hmm. in, in the entire globe. I've just never really bought into the whole the whole country market. I'm yeah, just not I'm, a. I'm not, I'm not a, the the whole two step well, thing. Yeah. And uh, you're Jewish, yeah. honey. I know. Well, I, I, I, I, it doesn't work for so your people. So, so you're telling me, if, if, if, if, so you're saying if they opened a bar where they just played Havana Gila and lifted me up on a chair, no, I'd go every day. Every day you'd go. This you is the greatest there. bar I've ever been to. You went there, not was, me. Who's the organist? That organist is fantastic. <laughs> Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. The whole thing. Actually, Catherine and I, our 30th anniversary is on July 7th. Oh, then muzzle top. We're going to retrace retrace our honeymoon, which brings us Within reason, though, this time. Within reason this time. And he's not going to ride a horse or kayak or anything. No, I'm not going to do that. No, no. Where where was the original honeymoon? No whitewater rafting for Tom. Springs. Oh, that's right. That's right. And then we're going to Lake Louise again. Oh, it's such a It's I mean, so you can't beautiful. You just want to just, oh, just, just want to l- look at it. Just <laughs> sit there for the rest of your life and look at it. God's it's country. So it is. Gorgeous. Literally. That's when you get there. That's, you know, the complete definition. It is God's country. Most I mean, beautiful the place in the world. Water reflects like a mirror. It's a, yep. Many okay. people don't know this, or even Canadians don't know this, but the $20 bill in Canada, the image on the $20 mm-hmm. bill is of Lake Louise. The uh, oh. that picturesque uh, mountain and, and lake in front is the uh, $20 bill. So here was the honeymoon. So we get married. 30 years ago now, and we fly into Calgary. Well, first, you couldn't fly directly then. You had to fly through Salt Lake City. So we get to Calgary. We stay at the Four Seasons there. Then we drive up to a camp on Saddleback Mountain, and we rode horses to the top of Saddleback Mountain. What was that, like a two-day deal? Yeah. He he was in a tent. In a tent. I was in a tent. This was the honeymoon? This is well, are, you, are you doing this to we, ruin every other guy's life? Now they have to get to that we, point to live did, up to this? We did the first Wait, half of the honeymoon was what I like to do, which was the whitewater rafting and oh, yeah. the horseback. So right? And then the, the second and half was his. water raft down the mountain on the Red Deer River. Then the second half was mine. We played golf at the Banff Springs Inn and then went to Lake Louise in one of the greatest moments of my life. <laughs> I'm newly married by about four days. My wife calls on the desk at Chateau Lake Louise and says, how far would we have to go to see a glacier? And the guy said, look out your window. <laughs> well, I didn't know. I'm in Minnesota. It looked like a bunch of, it looked like a bunch of snow between you know, a couple I, of hills. I'm, I'm like, g- that's a glacier? I was underwhelmed. I'm going to give this to your wife. I am. I, yeah. The first time that I did the the park, the ice park drive yeah. highway. Jasper National. Yeah. yeah, it just looks like, uh, it looks like it, snow. a big chunk it, of snow. It does. It I really was kind does. of expecting an icebergy kind of something <laughs> else. I don't know. I, I like yeah. that. I'm going to use that adjective, an icebergy. Yeah. Icebergy. Something. Icebergy. And show you what a city kid I am. Honest to God, we're driving along the Canadian uh, Expressway between Banff and Lake Louise. And we're driving along and went, what in the fuck is that smell? Oh. It was a bear on the side of the highway. It was a black bear. bear. Really? Yep. Holy Christ, did that thing reek. You've never a- seen him before? I've been nearby? No. no. no. I've been, I've, uh, you know how you, often you'll get uh, lightning and get kicked off a golf course? I've mm-hmm. been kicked off the Banff Springs golf course because oh, of that. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, I, yeah. I got his head taken off. A guy from Japan, two days before we got there, had his head taken off because he walked up to a bear walked to take it. right up. <laughs> not Winnie the Pooh, you idiot. Smile. I know. <laughs> Smile. What is it? Do you think it was right tame up. or what? I remember I there were coyotes or wolves or something on the golf oh, course. Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. I, there's always wildlife. I mean, it's fun. I actually golfed at a course up in, not far from the Arctic, in Yellowknife. I mean, this is oh, northern, no, northern. 
and they have golf balls that are hanging in the clubhouse when you walk into the clubhouse, and all the golf balls are completely mauled and chewed, and then they t- they're and they're literally just balls that have been left behind. They found after the fact that bears have chewed on or wildlife. <laughs> So, so some of their local rules are this, and it's on the back of the scorecard. If a raven should pick up your ball and fly away, no penalty stroke is assessed. That's good news. I'm happy. You know, I can still break eighty, maybe. That's good. Raven. And and they did not have. I'll never. This was so surreal. They didn't have uh, greens. There was no greens. You walked around with a piece of carpet. It was all sand, and then the greens were actually. Oil-based, oil-slickened kind of uh, surfaces, and it was uh, amongst one of the strangest uh, golf tournaments I've ever been in. The tournament is uh, – they do it every year, and I'm going to forget the name of it. I'll have to Google it, but it starts at midnight because up there oh, – Oh, the midnight time of year, kind of thing, yeah. Well, even where I live up in Edmonton in the middle of June uh, right now, I mean, I'll go golfing at 7 o'clock in the evening. I'll take my kid out. We play 18 holes. Oh, yeah. At right. seven o'clock. I mean, it, that's the that one, is amazing. That's the one amazing thing I'll say about where I live. You know, I real. It's a very blue collar city. It's all oil and gas. Um, you know, it's not the most culturally rich um, yeah. city. Uh, but although I'd like to think we're helping not that the by most bringing culturally rich. <laughs> I like that. But but financially, incredibly uh, rich. I mean, there's a lot of wealth in that's in that city in that province because of all the oil and gas. I oh, mean, it's God, it's yeah. insane. Even in Minneapolis, here we have daylight till. Sometimes 10 almost o'clock. 10 o'clock. Okay. Which and is, we're we the love most that. northern major city in right. North America. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's ridiculous. And so you go to Yellowknife, uh, I mean, you stay in hotels that have lead based blinds because otherwise <coughs> you're yeah, up all night. Blinds. Right. <laughs> that will do it for yet another episode of the. What? Oh, they've discovered a pass interference on this, and uh, we're going to have to do the whole thing again on this episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week from Todd Glass, Scott Walter, Billy Zabka, and Rick Bronson. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Week. <laughs>